The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony. Building resilience. Talking trauma. Radio Tony. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Radio Tony. Difficult conversations and bringing hope to listeners. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN. Good morning, everyone. You're listening live to your host, Tony Lontis, all the way from the Gold Coast, Australia, where our show travels from here to Florida in the US, and then soon we'll be going off up to Canada to talk to our amazing Canadian guest today, Greg Frankson. Hello to my beautiful radio technician, Rebel. I'm so happy you're here today. So, listeners, I love to hear from you. Um, And you can do that by popping your question or comment into the chat box at the bottom right-hand side of your screen if you're listening live on the w4wn.com site. Otherwise, you can jump onto my website, tonylontis.com, and have a look around. You can subscribe to my blog and my newsletter, see my latest social media feeds. But most of all, I'd love you to pop onto the Radio Tony Facebook page and let me know you're there. Say hi. Send me a message. So I'd like to know how you're all doing out there in the world today. I'd like to know that life's okay, that you're okay, and that somehow you're all good. Again, if you'd like to pop into the chat box today and let me know you're listening, tell me where you're listening from. I've got a prize for the first five listeners who pop their email address address into the chat box today. So, what's caught my eye this week across the internet? Did you know the top trending hashtags this week have included lover music video? I'll get that right. Hashtag lover music video. And in Australia, the top one of the top trending hashtags was hashtag Sydney trains. And I can only guess that that's because the service is not quite what it should be. Rounding off the top five hashtags across the world is the hashtag Amazon fires. As I guess most of you know, there's raging fires across the Amazon this week. One of the most interesting stats I found this week when I was researching iHeartRadio was that there are an incredible 128 million users of iHeartRadio with 250 active listeners listening to iHeartRadio stations each month. 
and that the consumer awareness of iHeartRadio is at 84%. Some incredible statistics there. And I'm wondering if you know that my podcast of Radio Tony is available on iHeartRadio and I'll pop the links for that into the chat box later. So over to what's making news across the world. Uh, And firstly, into Canada. The editor of a virulently bigoted and misogynistic Canadian publication has just been sentenced to a year in prison for promoting hate. In January, James Sears, 55, and his publisher, Leroy Street Germain, 77, were found guilty of hate crimes connected to the quarterly publication of Your Ward News, a small newspaper published in Ontario and online. The Canadian press reports that Sears attempted to have a new trial reopened over claims his lawyer had intentionally lost, but the judge denied the bid and instead sentenced him. It's actually good news to hear that some of the judges across the world are actually seeking to put people in jail for promoting hate. So, James, um, apparently the editor of this Canadian publication was promoting hate against women and Jewish people, and so the judges have sentenced him to a year in prison. Pretty good news, I think. Also out of Canada this morning is the fact that the autism diagnosis has been so broad that it prevents a better understanding of how the autistic brain works. And this is from Canadian researchers. In a meta-analysis published by uh, JAMA Psychiatry, Researchers in Quebec and Denmark analysed 11 previous major reviews on people with autism and the rest of the population. And they discovered that the whole diagnosis could nearly be meaningless because of what they're discovering about the autism diagnosis. So Ivy wants to know, they were printing uh, hate and promoting it. Yes, Ivy, I understand that the newspaper was printing really hateful stuff um, and getting away for it, obviously, for a certain amount of time until they were finally caught and brought to judgment. Um, Also over in uh, Canada, the U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, sat down with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau Uh, to discuss what's happening in Hong Kong. Uh, They're urging both leaders to speak with one voice in response to China's actions regarding the democratic protest movement in Hong Kong. And you know I would have been talking to you each week about the huge protests happening in Hong Kong, uh, demonstrating some laws that are to come into place, which would mean that uh, resident Hong Kong people could be uh, sent to mainland China uh, for crimes committed in Hong Kong, and that's what they're protesting about. 
global protests are on the top of the mind for virtually every country in the world, the president of the Canadian International Council think tank said. And with a real risk of major bloodshed right now, we don't know what's going to happen. So at least one of the potential scenarios is that the Chinese army will be called in to suppress these protests. The visit by the US Pompeo was the first to Canada since taking on his current role. He will meet with Trudeau and his Canadian counterpart, Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Freeland. Over to Germany, where an eight-year-old boy has been found safe after taking his parents' car for an 87-mile-per-hour nighttime spin down the motorway in Germany. He tearfully told police he just wanted to drive a little bit. The child, who had used go-karts and bumper cars before, took his parents' Volkswagen Golf automatic from his home in Solis and headed towards Dortmund at a high speed before reportedly feeling unwell eight kilometres down the road and pulling into a lay-by. The alarm was raised by his mother at 12.25 a.m. on Wednesday before she found him about an hour later. The boy had switched on his hazard lights and put a warning triangle behind the vehicle. Police said the little boy's adventure down the A44 had not caused any damage to people or property. But a very funny little story, and I'm sure that eight-year-old will not jump in mum and dad's car again. Over to the US, where police in Long Beach, California, have appeared to have brought a mass shooting by arresting a hotel cook who had amassed an astonishing cache of powerful firearms and had well-laid plans to carry out a gun rampage throughout the hotel. The 37-year-old was picked up at his home in Huntington Beach on Tuesday. The previous day, he had allegedly confessed to a fellow worker at the Long Beach Marriott that he had planned to carry out the attack as a revenge act for a grudge he bore against the company. The fellow worker immediately sounded the alarm. In ensuing searches, police discovered a pile of firearms that included two pistols, two assault rifles of the sort used in several recent mass shootings, a pump-action shotgun and thousands of rounds of ammunition. Good pickup by the police and courageous act by the fellow worker who sounded the alarm and prevented the deaths of many people. Over to Indonesia, where Indonesia has deployed more than a thousand security personnel to West Papua and has cut internet, internet access amid days of violent demonstrations in what activists say were the largest protests to occur in the region over the years. As you'll know, West Papua is very close to the tip of Australia, so anything that happens over there is of concern to Australians. Protests continued on Thursday night, including in the capital of Jakarta, where demonstrations flew the banned Morning Star flag in front of the State Palace. Scores have been arrested for raising the symbolic flag of independence in the past, with one activist spending more than 10 years in prison for the offence before he was released in 2015. 
On Wednesday, violent unrest occurred and in it where a police, sorry, where a market was set ablaze and street battles erupted between police and protesters. Waving the morning flag, protesters chanted, we are not red and white, in reference to the colours of the Indonesian flag. Police fired tear gas after the crowd set fire to the market and destroyed ATMs and shops. Local media reported in their local news. The crowd dispersed when white police fired warning shots. Indonesian media reported police arrested 45 people, including some they had accused of masterminding the protests and damaging the buildings. So over to Hong Kong and uh, those continuing rallies across Hong Kong and a peaceful rally at a metro station in Hong Kong descended into a clash between protesters and police as the city entered its 11th week of anti-government demonstrations. Hundreds of people took part in the sit-down at the out-of-town metro station earlier on Wednesday in a protest at a violent and indiscriminate attack on commuters and protesters there a month ago. And finally, in Australia, radio shock jock and rogue broadcaster Alan Jones is in trouble again. Last week, Jones, a very controversial radio host in Australia with a long history of making slurs against women in leadership roles, called New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ahern a clown and said that Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison should shove a sock down her throat after she spoke at regional leaders' meeting about combating climate change. In the wake of those comments, Alan Jones' show has lost advertisers at an alarming rate. And he said advertisers who chose to abandon his program because of his slurs against women will be replaced by others. He also said he had no comment about the advertisers. Uh, they can make their own judgment, he, want, he said. A defiant Jones told Nine News. There will be others that take their place. Jones comment that New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinta Ahern should be backhanded were condemned across Australia and New Zealand as dangerously misogynistic by women's groups and advertisers will continue pulling their advertising from his morning show. So before we get on to the break, I just want to tell you a little bit about our wonderful Canadian uh, guest. Um, before I do, Harper wants to know, is there no freedom of speech here? There is freedom of speech in Australia, but it also our freedom of speech also protects those that the speech is aimed to. So... If the advertisers are sending a powerful message to Alan Jones, the broadcaster, that he can't say horrible, nasty, misogynistic things because he thinks he has power. It's not right. And I'm glad his advertisers are pulling out of his show. Um, so this week, I'm really excited to introduce our Canadian guest and you, my listeners, will know that I'm an unabashed fan of Canada and all Canadians. My younger brother emigrated to Canada and married a Canadian lass and had four Canadian Aussie kids in the process some 27 years ago. There's a mutual love between the people of Canada and Australia. And a little bit about my Canadian guest 
Greg before we throw to a break. So Greg Frankson was raised in Scarborough, Ontario by his single mother who taught him the value of education, hard work and perseverance. She knew that if he was ever going to make anything of himself, he would have to work twice as hard and have half the privileges of others. She also taught him to be strong so that he could push through barriers and obstacles in the world where black men are not expected to succeed. He never forgot those lessons. They shaped his path and influenced who he became. He's a first-generation Canadian of Jamaican descent, and Greg has experienced negative impacts of prejudice, discrimination and racism and learns, has, a, and has learned how to endure and thrive. He's also enjoyed the moments when those who sought to deny him based on aspects of his personal story were disappointed by his successes. So we're going to go to a little break and when we return, I'll have a wonderful conversation with Greg. Over to you, Rebel. Radio Tony, bringing social consciousness this time every Thursday evening, live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN. Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty is the new book from Australian author Tony Lontis. Available in paper, ebook, and audiobook formats, Resilience is the true life story of Tony experiencing and surviving trauma, abuse, mental health issues and the ultimate betrayal of someone she fell in love with. Exposing moral issues you may have dealt with too. Read how hope and happiness triumph in her life. Available at Amazon.com and all good online retailers. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. And welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Radio Tony with your host, Tony Lontis. And today I have an amazing guest for you. His name is Greg Frankson, and he joins us from Canada this morning. Oh, sorry, this evening. Hello, Greg. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm good. It's still quite chilly here in uh, Australia. We're uh, in the end of winter, so I'm guessing that it's quite nice weather in Canada. You're in summer? Yes, just the tail end of summer. The days are just starting to get shorter, but it's still nice and toasty up here in Toronto. (laughs) Excellent. So, Greg, thank you for coming on Radio Tony, and I thought that we'd start our session today by talking about your upbringing and where life began for you. Well, um, I was raised uh, in, a, um, in, a, in a government housing uh, project yes. in Scarborough, yes. and uh, Scarborough is the east end of what is now the city of Toronto, so, okay. um, you know. So I'm a Toronto kid, born and raised, right through. Yes. I'm, I'm very, I'm very, very proud to be from Scarborough, and yeah. um, and you know, coming up in in that situation, you know, we didn't we didn't have a lot. We we had enough, and uh, yes. life, you know, I've I've always been taught from the very beginning that nothing was going to be handed to me, and no. so if I wanted to make anything of life, I was going to have to go out and and earn it. So yeah. that's what I've 
that's what I've been doing for all yeah. 44 years of my life yeah. is just finding ways to, uh, to move through life and yeah. to achieve what I wanted to achieve yeah. and to leverage what I have learned and what I have inherited and what I have been gifted with yeah. in order to do something positive in the world. Yeah. So I understand that like your background, your family background is from Jamaica. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So did, was it your, your mum or dad from Jamaica and then the Canadian connection? How did, how did that work for you? Well, both of my parents are Jamaican. Both Jamaican. uh, Yeah, they were both born there, but they met in Toronto. Oh, okay. um, Yeah, so my father had emigrated straight from Jamaica to Canada. Yes. My mom and her family went to England first and lived there for five years before coming to Toronto. Oh, wow. uh, Yeah, and so they all got together here, and my mom had her own little group of friends, and I guess my dad, I don't know all the details, I wasn't around, but um, but my understanding is that, uh, yeah, they were all sort of part of the same social group, and yeah. Then I then I showed up a little while later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, are you how do you get back to Jamaica? Do you have family that you stay in contact with Jamaica, or is your life predominantly in Toronto, Canada? Well, I'm based out of here, and and my life is definitely here. But yes. like most Jamaican families, I have uh, you know I have relatives who are still in Jamaica. I have some in the United States. I have some in uh, in the United Kingdom. Yeah. So our family, you know, our family has sort of spread throughout a what global, is part. Global family yeah. in the true yeah, sense of the word. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's fantastic. So I'm interested how you got into poetry because listeners greg is an amazing poet and so i'd like to know where the roots of that poetry sprung from and and how early in life you discovered poetry well before the poetry i discovered words and i was in love with words you know from a very early age my mom taught me how to read when i was three years old before i I started to attend school uh-huh. And so I've pretty much been in love with words ever since then. And, you know, when I was a voracious reader as a child, you put anything yeah. in front of me and I would read it. Yeah. Um, and then over time, as I developed ability to write, then I started to write, you know, all kinds of things. But, you know, yeah. predominantly poetry at a, but at a very young age. I can't even remember how young I was when I first started writing poetry. It's just been part of my life for as long as I can remember. That's amazing. Have you still got some of those early poems that you wrote as a child, Greg? My mother tells me that she's got some boxes from my childhood shoved in the back of her garage. So at some point, I'll have to go digging through them and see if there's any old poetry from childhood in there. But uh, on hand, I think the oldest stuff I have is from university on hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would be fascinating for you, wouldn't it, to dig into those boxes and find what you wrote as a child? Yeah, fascinating and comical, I'm sure. <laughs> Possibly comical, yeah, yeah. Do you do you have any recollection of, of what sort of things you wrote about? Um, probably about, you know, nature, about my friends, 
yeah. about sports. I was very athletic as a child, so I probably wrote some stuff about sport. What uh, sports did you not, play as a child? I was a soccer player, ah. foremost, you know, yeah. yes. football, yes. As, as it's called in the rest of the world. Oh, and, no, uh, I, 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 my kids played soccer, so I'm with you there. <laughs> Uh, okay, good. And uh, and then I also ran track. Um, I was a sprinter all the way up yes. until I was in my 20s. So wow. those were my two main sports. And then I played yeah. pretty much everything else at some point or another and also developed a strong love for basketball along oh, the way yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. So you didn't get into the Canadian ice, hook, ice hockey? Oh, heavens, no. No, no. <laughs> hockey is... <laughs> Hockey is exactly, not the traditional sport. No, not the <laughs> traditional sport of the Jamaican immigrants. Yeah, um, no. <laughs> although there I were know. some, but I wasn't. I wasn't one of them. <laughs> I've been some to some of those ice hockey games, and as an Australian sitting there watching, going, oh, like holding my breath, thinking, "Oh my God, there's got to be." broken bones in that collision and thinking wow that is such a violent game that's really funny because i feel the same way about aussie rules football i still don't get it (laughs) yeah well that's true yeah and in aussie rules of course they don't wear any paddings occasionally you'll see a little bit of a head helmet but mostly there's no protection whatsoever and just that short shorts and singlet and off they go and play really tough football yeah yeah um so i want to ask about after you finished school and went to university so let's talk about your time in university and I'm guessing that's where the foundation of your political activism started, perhaps? Well, I think that that's where it's it found its maturation. Uh, it would have yes. begun in high school while okay. I was still living in Scarborough. I was... Yep. I was very involved at the community level. I was involved with a community group here that's called Tropicana Community Services that yeah. uh, is for the uh, Caribbean community uh, in Scarborough. Yes. And yeah. so I was involved with their youth group and became politically aware through that process. And so and, what did uh, the and then, youth group... I'm sorry, Greg, to interrupt, but I'm, I'm fascinated. What did the youth group do? What did they... Did they have programs? Did they assist youth in trouble? What what did they do? Well, our group was mostly a social action kind of group. So yes. we would so we would create events um, that would bring together young people in our part of the city, and we yeah. would talk about and debate different issues. So some of them had to do with um, the relationship between black men and black women. Some of them yeah. would have to do with strictly with youth-focused uh, events. Some were um, just general awareness raising about what we were doing as a, as a youth group. Um, uh-huh. Some were very political, you know, focused on the, you know, on the provincial and federal politics in Ontario yeah. and in Canada. So there was a mix of things that we did. Yeah. So obviously that started in, in high school. And where did it lead to when you went to university? Well, when I got to university, I was there for six years. I was yeah. taking my time. And, uh, <laughs> so it pretty much broke down to 
what I did the first three years and then what I did for the remaining three years. So those first three years, I was a very active anti-racism and anti-discrimination yeah. activist yeah. on campus. Yeah. Um, I wrote, you know, I wrote socially conscious news articles and yeah. uh, I participated in protest rallies and I was a member of our anti-racism group on campus at Queen's University, which is where yeah. I went to school. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I was doing so I was doing that stuff. I was the I was the black guy with the megaphone um, very much for those uh, first three years. And, uh, yeah. And when I was in my third year, I decided with a couple of friends to, uh, to run for student government Uh and, uh, and we were elected as a team to be the student government executive and I ran for president. And in the process, I became the, uh, the president of the, the first black president of the oldest student government in Canada. And, uh, yeah, we served a year doing that, and yeah. then the rest of my time at Queens was spent engaged with governance. So with yeah. the Senate, with the Board of Trustees, with the Alumni Association, yeah. uh, doing what I could to uh, to help students during a very difficult time. You know, it was the mid to yeah. late '90s, and in Canada, yeah. it was a time when the cost of education was escalating at a very rapid rate and there were issues around accessibility and about uh, increased student debt loads. And so I was an advocate uh, in the government, uh, in the governmental realm uh, uh, on those, on those kinds of issues. So that was pretty much how I spent my time at Queens. Yeah. Very busy by the sounds of it with very wonderful causes. So can I ask in, Canada today what the university system is like in terms of um, students ending up with debts at the end of their study is it is it better worse do you know oh well um, you know I'm still involved with with my university in, in some yeah. ways and so I have some sense uh, at this point things have changed quite a bit from when I was in school 20 years ago. Yeah. And um, I can't believe it's been 20 years, but anyway, that's another conversation. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But, uh, but the cost of, uh, yeah, it really does go quickly. (laughs) The time goes really quickly, but uh, the cost of post-secondary, yeah. (laughs) Goes way too quickly. Yeah. So, so fast. And uh, yeah, life is, uh, Life is a never-ending story, I suppose. Um, but yes, but but the costs are quite high, and yeah. they've differentiated now. So if yeah. you decide you want to do law or medicine, then the debt load you, you graduate with is much higher than if you yeah. do an arts, uh, just a regular arts or science degree. Yeah. And um, and uh, you know, and student debt continues to be a major issue in, uh, yeah. in Canadian I- politics. Yeah, my son has just graduated from um, a private university here in Australia, and his debt is one hundred and ten thousand for his uh, physiotherapy qualification. So that's quite a debt to start with uh, at the start of your working life. Um, and yeah, it's a shame, isn't it, Greg? It really is, and um, and what it does is it cripples the ability of young people to come quickly into the economy, yes. and uh, you know, so if they're paying that money to interest instead of to interesting things, yes. then uh, then they are not 
helping with the you know with the with the financial stimulation yeah. of yeah. the economy and uh so i i think i think across the western world we have to give ourselves a good look, a good hard look in the mirror, and say, what are we doing to our yeah. own futures if we're if we're going to cripple our future with debt before they even get get going? I agree, and and education um, of our young people is just so important. Uh, I passionate, be- passionately believe that education is a key for so many things, um, and I would think your views would be similar, Greg. Well, I mean, <laughs> we don't we don't have much of we don't have much of a future if we don't uh, if we don't get schooling correct. Yes. And uh, and so we've got to make sure we lay the proper foundations that we make it as accessible to everyone as possible, provide yeah. that equity in opportunity, yeah. and uh, and that we do what we can to make sure that people have uh, a good shot at life. Because if yeah. we don't do that. Then some of the trends that we see where people have just simply decided not to go to university and try to do it another way, that yeah. will continue to grow, yeah. and that will shift. That will shift the nature of the economy, and uh, yeah. you know, in good in good ways in some ways, but also in in challenging in ways. ways. So, yeah, yeah. So we've got to uh, we've we've got to be aware and yeah. make and make good good decisions based yeah. on that. Yeah, education should be um, a fundamental milestone of the human experience i would think um, but not everyone has equitable access to the sort of education that they need to make it in this world that's right and um speaking of education in 2012 you're given the accolade of canada's smartest person which is really cool can you tell our listeners about that experience and how that came about Oh goodness! So yes, I, uh, I I received a call out of the clear blue sky one day saying that uh, that the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the good old CBC, was yeah. putting together a television special called Canada's Smartest Person, and they'd heard about me and could I apply? So okay. I said, so I said, sure, you know, fine. So I went online. This application took me a few hours to fill out, but I did it. I went through their process, and uh, and in the end, I was selected uh, as one of the four national finalists from the like. I think it was a couple thousand people who ended up applying in the oh. end. And uh, yeah, so I was one of the four finalists, and I ended up yeah. being on this two-hour special that aired on CBC TV nationwide. Yeah, and it was myself, a gentleman named Marshall, who is a science teacher from Winnipeg, yeah. uh, a young woman named Laura, who was like a researcher in yeah. in uh, Vancouver, and then this other gentleman, uh, Peter, who is a football player for the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the Canadian Football oh. League. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and so the four of us competed. So Peter actually was the one who ended up winning the overall title, but wow. uh, but I was a uh, I was a Canada's smartest person national finalist. So yeah. and uh, and build myself as Canada's smartest artist for a while. Um, yeah. So <laughs> so, so that was a uh, was a lot of fun. I'll bet, but I can't imagine answering two hours of questions on national tv would have been particularly fun 
Oh my goodness. Well, the two hour special was, it was a series of challenges. So ah. one of them was like a word art one. And then one was like, there were some models and they were in some clothes and then they went in and they, they took some things off or moved things around and you had to remember what they were well, wearing before okay. and point out the changes. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it was stuff like that, you know? Um, so there were all these different then challenges and I was common. right in it. Yeah. Yeah, I was right in it until the very end. The very last challenge was a cup stacking challenge. So it was whoever. Oh, my could, goodness. Could, yeah, it could, like, take down and then put back up the cups the <laughs> fastest. And uh, and I was right there. And then one of my cups, right at the very end, on my last try, one of the cups flew off the table and I was out. No so, way. So I didn't. So because of losing that one cup. I did not make it to the final head-to-head challenge between the top two finishers. I ended up finishing oh, third. damn. And what was the final <laughs> challenge? Oh, it was like an obstacle course kind of thing. So oh. you had to like answer a math question at one point, and you had to like walk through this kind of maze thing at another spot. Because the premise of the show was that they were testing all of the different yeah. intelligences. Yeah. Right. So, so that, that was the idea, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I'm glad I did it. Uh, it was pretty hilarious, <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> it just seems like. Idea. Do they still do it, or it was just a one-off? I thought it was going to be a one-off, and then they had a bunch of seasons after that. So, um, oh. you know what? Yeah, they did it a few more times. Oh, that's so, cool. That's cool. Yeah, it was neat. Excellent. <laughs> so one of the other things you do was your alter ego called Ritalin. Yes. Did I pronounce that correctly? You did. You did. Excellent. So can you tell our listeners what that was about? So Ritalin was my stage name when I was uh, doing spoken word poetry performance yes. uh, on, a, on a more full-time basis. So I was involved with the National Poetry Slam uh, community, yeah. and yeah. Uh, I was very heavily involved for many years. And so I traveled across Canada and, in fact, traveled internationally as well, uh, performing and using my spoken word for performance yeah. and for advocacy, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about later yeah. on. Yeah. But, uh, but, but as a slammer, I was, I was, uh, I was definitely a top-ranked uh, competitor yes. in yes. the Canadian scene, and 2012 was a big year. Not only was I on Canada's Smartest Person in 2012, yeah. Yeah. but uh, I also finished second at the Canadian Individual Poetry Slam Championship. Yeah. And then later in the year, won a national team slam championship with my team from Toronto. So, yeah. so I was a 2012 national poetry slam champion. And uh, yeah, so, yeah, so it, was a, it was an incredible year. Yeah. <laughs> So for our listeners, can you describe how a poetry slam works? Well, what you have is uh, a room full of people interested yeah. in listening yeah. and uh, an, op an open sign up. So anybody who wants to participate, they would sign up on a list. There's usually a yeah. limit, usually 10 or 12 people. Yeah. Um, each poet would have the opportunity to get on stage, perform a poem that they wrote themselves 
that they would perform without the assistance of any music costumes or uh, or, or help. And they would just get yeah. up and they would perform the poem. Yeah. Usually a time limit of three minutes with a 10-second grace period. And uh, after they performed the poem, they would get uh, a judgment. So there would be yeah. five people in the crowd giving out scores. Yeah. You know, anywhere from 0.0, .0 to 10, you know, 8.5, 9.6, 7.3, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And they drop the highest and the lowest score, add the three middle scores together for a score out of 30. Uh -huh. And the poet with the highest score at the end of the night wins. It's really that okay. simple. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, in my mind, I, I think of poetry and rap. Don't ask me why my brain couples the two together, but they're not the same, are they? Although, I guess you could think of rap as a form of poetry. What do you think? Well, music is poetry to a melody and rap is yeah. poetry to a beat. It's, you know, so it's it's all the same thing. So whether you're rapping, whether you're singing, whether you're flowing in free verse or in or in rhyme, in your quatrains, yeah. or whatever it is that you're doing, yeah. all of it is poetry. And as long yes. as you're performing it vocally in front of a crowd, uh, you know, it's poetic. And it has yeah. power, and it has meaning and substance and a life of its own. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and once you share a poem in front of a crowd of people, the universe yeah. takes hold of it, and then it will do what it will with that yes. poem. And that's been my experience of being a poet for the last 16 years. Yeah. Um, Leo wants to know, is this like drop the mic? Drop the mic? Mm. Is that like a television show or? I'm not sure, Leo. We might need you to clarify your question a little bit. I was hoping Greg would know what drop the mic means, but as an Australian, <laughs> I'm not familiar with that terminology. So, Leo, if you're yeah, listening, just drop us a line and let us... Just clarify that question for us a little bit. Um, yeah, I agree because, with you. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm, yes, I'm not much is. of a TV. Okay, cool. Because I'm not much of a TV person, but um, yeah. I guess if, if people are on stage and they're performing poetry, then yeah, I guess that would be spoken word. Spoken word is just performance poetry. Yeah. 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 Excellent. And um, so. How long did you perform um, as Rillin? Did Was it a, a number of years? Well, yes. I mean, in certain contexts, I still use the name. But uh, yes. I first I, I first used the name Ritalin in uh, 2003, which is when I did my first uh, slam performance. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, 16 years ago. And yeah. uh, for me, the name means, because, of course, Ritalin is the drug that people with attention deficit disorder yeah. take in order to help them focus. Yes. And and so for me, the meaning of the name is just like the drug, my poetry is intended to help people to clear away all the, the clutter and the nonsense and the noise that's going on around there and focus on issues that are important. And yeah. I, sp I speak mostly about powerful personal stories, as well yes. as uh, social justice and uh, social change-related issues. That, that's yes. the focus of my work. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain power in poetry because it's you have to concentrate and listen to the words to um, participate in that whole experience of listening to poetry, don't you? You have to yeah, quiet you really your mind to concentrate. 
yes, you have to you have to allow your mind to be cleared of all the, everything else and to just absorb the words and the movement of the poet on the stage. Yes. And to take in, you know, both the vocal and the performative aspects of the piece. Yeah. And uh, and then just allow yourself to respond, whether that is to laugh or to cry or to yeah. rage or to think harder or whatever it is. Because yeah. like any good art, a powerful spoken word poem is, is designed to make you feel something. Yes. And that that's what it's about you people need to feel and be engaged for change to happen don't they greg that's right absolutely yeah you got to get your heart into it as well as your mind yeah yeah so where has the poetry taken you so has it led go on sorry no no at first it took me onto slam stages but from the slam stage i yes. was able to uh, to take it into schools so yes. i've done qu- quite a lot of work with young people in schools all across canada and at international level yes. but i believe most powerfully the spoken word has taken me into social advocacy and yes. for seven years i acted as the poet laureate for the international initiative for mental health leadership yes. which yes. Uh, which took me to the united states took me uh, to ireland took me to australia yes. uh, right right in your backyard tony yes. where i was in brisbane and i have yes. also seen the beautiful gold coast of australia up close and personal as a result yeah. of that trip which is wonderful yeah um but uh but it's given me that opportunity and uh and i published a book that, an ebook that was a collection of my poems that i wrote during my yes. time as poet laureate yeah. uh, which is called lead on a page and yeah. uh and and through that work i've also been engaged at the domestic level as well predominantly yeah. and most importantly through the mental health commission of canada uh yeah. and uh they have a couple of initiatives. Most noteworthy is the Headstrong Initiative, which is now yeah. looking to make international connections. So if you're out there and you're looking yeah. for a powerful mental health program focused on children and youth, yeah. the, uh, the Headstrong program that I've worked with for the last few years is, uh, is looking to keep, uh, to keep its work going internationally. So, yeah. that's, so uh, that's, that's one of the programs, yeah. So Headstrong is predominantly in Canada, but you're looking to go global with its programs? Well, it's done many programs at the international level already. So okay. we, uh, we just can, yeah. So they're just always looking for people to work with. So that's part of that's part of what I do as well is is work with yeah. with the mental health commission as well. Yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. And with mental health, it's really important that we get people to understand that there should never be stigma around a mental health diagnosis. Should there? Mm-hmm. No, I mean every person who's diagnosed with a with a mental health issue is just a living, breathing human being like anybody else, and we all have our yeah. challenges. So let's work together to work our way through it, end the stigma, and make sure that people get the help and support yeah. that they need, so that they can make their biggest possible contribution to society yeah. in general. You know, it would be wonderful if the world at large would view a mental health diagnosis such as depression, anxiety, etc., as no different from having hypertension or a heart disorder. 
it's just a disorder of your mind and there's lots of things you can do and you can still live a wonderfully fabulous amazing life with a mental health diagnosis but a lot of people still uh, see that as uh, the death knoll or or something that is not great when it can be a bit of a blessing i've found mm-hmm. because well, i mean ultimately like mental health, uh, mental health issues are basically they're they're based on your brain chemistry and how your brain exactly uh, right. deals with information. That's it. That's yeah. all it is. And yeah. uh, and you know, and sometimes people forget that your brain is also part of your body. So a mental yes. health issue is also a physical health issue. Yeah. So let's just approach it that way and yeah. just work to make sure people get better. Period. Yeah. Well, Greg, we're going to pop on for a little break and a song. So, listeners, after we come back, I'm going to talk to Greg about his battle with depression. So, over to you, Rebel, and I'll talk to you all again soon. Keeping the conversation going on the suppressed social and moral issues, this is Radio Tony on W4WN. Join Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Tony uncovers and exposes the social and moral issues of our time, bringing social consciousness to the airwaves. You're not alone with your secrets. Let's talk trauma and resilience. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, Thursday evenings from 7pm Eastern Standard Time on W4WN. Keep the conversation going. Directory assistance. Call Radio Tony. Hello. 561-623-9421. On W4WN Radio Guest Skype. I wake up, puddle of sweat. I have nightmares and I get back into bed. It's like these voices just keep playing on repeat in the back of my head And I can't get them to leave me alone 30 years old but still hates being alone when I'm home Because that's when the voices get the loudest Opening up like this is a moment far from my proudest But these demons keep pressing me, I swear they're the foulest But I've grown comfortable with their presence, my conscience is calloused My dreams are their playground, my thoughts are their palace I try to evict them, they return with more Anxiety isn't an item you can return at the store I was 10 the first time I had a panic attack Like a punch to the stomach, there's no planning for that And I didn't tell anyone because I was too scared about what they'd say And I know deep down there was nothing they could do to take it away It was my fight to fight and my battle to face I remember that house I grew up in and how those demons would rattle that place I'd lay awake at night just staring at the ceiling I've spent my whole life trying to run from that feeling That feeling of being lonely, that feeling of being lost That feeling of being sick when the lights turn off that feeling of being depressed that feeling of being anxious that feeling of screaming to God begging Him to take this only to get silence in return I'd lay in that bed crying and I'd toss and I'd turn and I'd turn and I'd toss to this day the doctors gave me medication the pastor said pray I tried both and this anxiety still hasn't gone away so forgive me if I fantasize about being gone today I'm an actor who got really good at being on today but when I turn off I go right back into the shadows I'm in the deep end now but I started in the shallows and I might just drown myself in these waves suburban hell these homes are all graves everyone's coping with something but won't admit it they're all too afraid and these kids are glued to watching me what do I say 
If I'm honest with them, maybe they won't think highly of me Everything they want me to be is what I'm dying to be But everything I really am is what I'm not trying to be I want them to know that they're not alone in their struggles I wake up in tears and fall back asleep in those puddles And I don't think I'll ever get out of this valley I'm in Terrified that all along God has tallied my sins And if He has, the number must be astronomic My life is a joke and you keep reading just past the comic Because everything you think that I am is far from the truth I wish I could open up to you and just let loose But my vocal cords get tight when the devil pulls on this noose And then I'm back to keeping everything bottled up inside But he's not gonna keep me from pulling the throttle back this time He's not gonna keep me trapped like this I can't get out of bed, I was never made to act like this I'm packing up my bags and he can't stop me from running fast like this I'm not gonna be a slave to these voices of anxiety I'm shoving the devil back for every time that he lied to me And I'm taking a belt to these demons who whisper despair in my ear And I'm ignoring every naysayer who stands and stares when I'm near I'm moving forward out of this slump I took my bruises, I took my lumps I fell down but I got right back up So give me a torch and let's light that up I'm setting fire to the devil and I'm dousing these demons in gasoline Look at you now, now you're not laughing at me Now who's the one who's being tortured and punked? Now who's the one closing every door that I want? Now who's the one watching the other burn to the ground? Don't look away from me, you better turn back around I'm not done talking to you now I'm watching your moves I'm on your back and I'm stalking you too And when you try to ruin some other kid's life I'll be stopping you too You took 30 years of my life and I can't get that back You told me to end my life and I nearly got killed for that You took me down but I bounced right back I was lost then and I got found like that And everything you told me I wasn't Someone new told me I was And everything you hated in me Someone new told me he loves And when you tried to kill me with depression and anxiety He reached in and placed hope deep inside of me So I'm done listening to you and letting you control me I'm announcing it now that the devil can't hold me I'm walking away from the old me And I'm demanding a refund on every lie that you sold me You knew I'd find a way out sooner or later And I found my escape in the form of a savior Radio Tony on W4WN, a platform for the unheard. And hello, welcome back to Radio Tony. I'm your host, Tony Lontis, today, and we're talking with my wonderful friend from Canada, Greg Frankson. And before the break, we started to touch on the subject of mental health. And Greg, I know that you've battled with depression and it debilitated us. And I thought it important this morning that we talk about that impact of depression on your life and how it affected you. So can you tell our listeners how that started and what happened? Well, uh, I was diagnosed with depression back in May of 2011. Yeah. I was going through a difficult time. Uh, a bunch of <clears throat> a bunch of different things came together in my my personal life and my work life, artistically. Uh, all a bunch of in my relationship, a bunch of cr- uh, cr- uh, crises all came together within a within a about a 
week to 10 day period. Yeah. And uh, I basically, uh, I broke down and I ended yeah. up going to see a doctor and was diagnosed and was put on my f- on medication for the first time and yeah. uh, began to try to work my way back uh, from that, uh, from that initial experience. Yeah. So for those of you listening, uh, depression often strikes at a time in our life when you're facing a whole combination of big things. Um, And would you agree, Greg, that there was just a lot of stuff on your plate at that time? Oh, yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, and your ability to cope has already been challenged. And then uh, and then it just felt like something in my brain just flipped and um, it made it all extremely difficult. And yeah. um, and then dis- and then was uh, able to discover that through uh, going to see some uh, some medical practitioners that yeah. uh, that, in fact, I, I did have clinical depression, not just blues, not just upset over the things that were happening, but yes. a condition that had been triggered that was already there that is uh you know a chemical imbalance in my brain that re- yeah. resulted in a certain set of feelings thoughts and emotions um overtaking me at that time yeah and um and it's so important for anyone that is experiencing um depression and and when i say depression depression is that i can't get out of bed i can't face life um for me it was crying for no reason for days and days and days uh, and just not being able to function at a level that I had previously functioned at and the doctor explaining to me that your brain needs a break it just can't keep doing things the way that you're doing things at the moment and it's quite debilitating and you do need to seek help um, and help to get through that, don't you, Greg? So you were saying that your doctor put you on um, medication. I, My doctor put me on medication too. And uh, it was, I'm not sure about your experience, Greg, but for me, I had fought being on medication for years before I actually gave in and took the tablets and for the first time in my life experienced uh, life beyond the fog of depression, I would describe it. What was your experience, Greg? Well, I had a very mixed experience um, on the first time that I was on the medication. It immediately helped. (laughs) There's no question that it immediately helped. The world got clearer. Yes. Um, I was able to stay f- focused in uh, in what I do. I mean, I also yes. live with ADHD, so that is also yeah. an exacerbating uh, condition. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I was able to do all of those things. But what I found, which was very difficult for me personally, was that there's always some kind of a side effect that comes along yeah. with taking these kinds of medications. Yeah. And for me, is that it made it very difficult for me to channel my creativity. Um, yeah. So, so as a person who was a creative professional, that was obviously yeah. a pretty significant challenge. So, yeah, I had to work my way through that. Having the the medication actually successfully balancing my mood, yeah. but at the same time negatively impacting 
the way that I was living my life and making a living. So, yeah, um, there's, and that's there's often, a big story. Sorry, great. Go on. I'm not saying there's a big that's a big story that's involved with that. That's all I was going to say. Uh, uh, I would agree. It, it, it The medication helps so much, but then they, it always has side effects. And it's those side effects that often change the path of your life. Um, one of our lovely listeners, Ivy, wants to know, you seem so happy. Are you over the depression? And before I get you to answer that, Greg, I just I want to point out that um, you can be depressed and still be uh, have a happy persona. Um, and it's often... Uh, you're naturally happy person, but the depression works in a way that uh, debilitates you in other areas of your life. Um, so, I am I've been diagnosed with major clinical depression, but I'm generally a happy person, and that's because of the medication. Would that be your experience too, Greg? Well. I think it's actually a side effect of the way that I was raised that I have yes. this particular disposition. Yes. And when I say that, I mean that in life, you know, I've grown up black in North America as a black man in North yes. America. And there are certain societal pressures and challenges associated with that ethnic and gendered identity. And Which is so, tough. yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, it's like I try to describe to other people. It's like my life is constant warfare. Like there's no, yes. there's no, there's no rest. You're constantly on alert. You're constantly aware yes. of what's going on around you. You're yes. constantly assessing what's happening in terms of the way you're interrelating with others and the way they interrelate with you. And yeah. so as one of the defensive mechanisms that I, I think I've learned ever since childhood, yeah. just to present as pleasant a face as possible at all times. And that yeah. isn't to say that I'm being fake or fraudulent or, you know, it's just to say that I've chosen to show that part of, of the world, uh, sorry, that part of my world to the rest of the world yes. as my primary uh, method of interaction. Yeah. And, and I am happy and I am yeah. very, I'm very proud of myself and I'm proud of my family and my background yeah. and all that stuff. And so, yeah, so, so yeah, I'm usually in a pretty good mood. You know? And I would, but, I would uh, agree with you, Greg. I have a very happy uh, disposition. That's my, a normal part of my uh, personality. Um, and I too, like once you've had a breakdown and had the diagnosis of depression, you're always on the lookout for things or situations that will pop you back into that dark, black, depressive place. You're hyper alert. I, I would describe it as being hyper alert to the things that, that would trigger your depression. Um, I actually had a, a second uh, breakdown and it was only after the second breakdown that led me to change the way I dealt with life and the way that I looked at life. And that, that's been a, a huge blessing for me. Um, and if I hadn't suffered the second, second breakdown and and 
depressive state, I never would have discovered those skills or sought the education or sought the help and therapy that I needed to change my life. Um, And I know that for you, Greg, it, it had the same sort of impact on your life. It kind of changed your life path a little, didn't it? Well, yes, def- definitely the first one did. I've I've had three major crises yeah. um, in terms of my depression. I've had three. So I had that first one. Uh, I had another one, I believe it was in 2013. And then I had yeah. another one at the end of 2014. Yeah. And all of those uh, incidents, um, you know, they, they, they leave a mark, you know. They do. And... But they also are tremendous teachers. Definitely. I feel I feel so much stronger. I have a yes. much better sense of myself. Yes. I have a much better sense of who I am in the world around others. Yes. And uh, and you know, I see my depression. You know, some may see it as an affliction. I see it as a gift, and it has I agree. forced me to become better. It forces yes. me to be better all the time. I agree. I agree. It it definitely is an amazing teacher uh, in developing things like boundaries around the behavior that you will accept from people and the situations you will or won't put yourself in uh, have all been uh, directed by my battle with depression um and it sounds the same the same way for you uh greg as well oh yeah that part is definitely an ongoing evolution that that changes and morphs as it goes along you know whether i'm on medication or i come off of the medication or i'm trying a new medication or whatever that looks like um you know there are there are stages and phases that you got to go through. Um, and uh, I yeah. think that's the same as, as life in general. But when yeah. you've got that condition, it really forces you to, to be a lot more accountable to yourself yes. and, uh, and, to, and to be in a state of constant self-evaluation yes. Um, yes. To, constant. Uh, to, yeah, to survive, to move forward, yeah. and, to be, and to be better, to be better tomorrow than you were yesterday. Yeah. What our listeners might not realize is that um, with the diagnosis of depression and and medication that you uh, start, sometimes the medication only works for a certain amount of time and you then might have to change something. Um, I don't... Uh, profess to know why that happens I just know that it does happen so um, I thankfully I have been on a different medication for a number of years and and it has been the best for me but there may come a time down the track where we need to look at a different medication again and that's part and parcel of dealing with depression um, and it, it's common to have to change medication. Um, and the other statistic to note is that once you've been into a major depressive episode, there are certain statistics like that it's going to happen again. Uh, hence the, uh-huh. um, hence why you're always on alert and why you're always evolving and self-evaluating. When you say that's correct, Greg, it's constant 
Well, yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, I feel, I feel lucky that not only have I been going through those, through those things uh, for the last eight years in particular, although I, yeah. I'm quite sure I had depression before that, but yes. since being diagnosed eight years ago. But because at the time I was diagnosed, I was also serving as the Poet Laureate for the International Initiative. Yeah. I had access to an incredible support system yeah. and to and to resources. And yeah. I think that that is the, the biggest challenge that's out there is that oftentimes people are dealing with these situations and they don't have the resources. Now, whether those yeah. resources are, are medical or pharmaceutical or if they're, you know, counseling, whether that's clinical counseling or spiritual counseling or whatever, yeah. whatever that is for an individual person, whatever works for them, yeah. but people don't know and people don't have the access and people don't have the training or the skills to know where or how to look. Yeah. And, and even if they do, and they go to try to access those systems because of the way that um, global mental health systems are structured. Yeah. It's exceedingly difficult to get mental health support unless you are in a dire crisis situation. I would agree. And, and that needs to change. It does definitely need to change. Um, Leo wants to know, what kind of side effects are we looking at? So I'll let you answer that first, Greg. And I know sure. you've already um, spoken about the impact it had on your creativity. Were there other side effects you want to tell our listeners about? Well, I mean, my, you know, my sleep patterns go all over the place. Yeah. Um, you know, I was fortunate. I didn't have a lot of weight gain, but some people have a lot of it. Um, yes. I just put on a, a, I just put on a few extra pounds, like three or four extra pounds. Like it wasn't a big deal, but yeah, that can be a big problem for people. Um, you know, the, uh, the process of your body adapting to the medication can be, yes. uh, quite unpleasant. Yeah. Yeah. Really unpleasant and, you know, weird feelings in your stomach and in your head yeah. and, yeah. you know, the heavy eyelids and the headaches and the stomach yes. aches and the yes. achy body. And like, there's yeah. all kinds of stuff that can come along with that. And then you can also do what I did the first time I went on meds is I stopped taking them cold turkey, which I wouldn't recommend. Yeah, no, I don't <laughs> do anyone that. Out there. Yeah, don't do that. Don't be a Greg. Don't uh, don't quit your meds cold turkey. That yeah. leads to a whole other set of side effects that are which are really really unpleasant. Yeah. So there are there are all kinds of hazards that come along with it, but. At the same time, you know, th th there has to be a recognition that not all effective treatments are involve the use of pharmaceuticals. Um, yeah. You know, you can be on meds and it'd be amazing for you. Some yeah. people don't need it. And it's all right. very personal. And you have to figure out what your treatment plan is, whether that's going to be cognitive behavioral therapy or just regular talk therapy. Uh, medication, exercise, diet. There's a lot of different aspects to There's it. There's a lot of non-medication uh, things that you can do to help with depression. Um, but knowing that sometimes medication is the only answer for some of us, the chemicals in our brains just never get it right, I guess you'd say. And the medications make the chemicals in your brain work like they're supposed to. 
Um, and I'd agree with Greg. Um, I actually had a lot of weight gain. So for me, I uh, put on 20 kilos. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So it had a major effect on me um, in terms of weight gain. Um, and Sam wants to know, what are the signs we're looking for in depression? So I'll go with you first, Greg. What signs did your depression manifest at? And if you can remember back to your younger years, because I'll add on to that from my own story, but from your younger years, when you first kind of thought maybe depression was there, retrospectively, of course, you don't actually recognise or realise usually that that's what you're going through. Mm -hmm. For me personally, the number one tell is how neat is my living space? Uh-huh. If my if my living space is neat, I'm probably okay. If my uh -huh. living space is a disaster and my dishes aren't getting done, that's usually the first hint that something is out of whack. Wow. And uh, that's that's just a personal tell for me. So when I look around my place right now, I yeah. see that it is it is uh, it is moderately messy, yeah. and I have been you know I have been dealing with a couple of things as of late. But uh, you know, yeah. but things are not out of control by any stretch. Yeah. So you can you learn to uh, you learn to identify certain tells for yourself. Yeah. Um, another tell for me is my sleep pattern. If my sleep yeah. starts to get weird, I know something's not right. Uh -huh. um, that's a that's a really big one for me and yeah. you know if uh, you know I have a specific witching hour you yes. know um, like I'll just pop awake at four o'clock in the morning just boom yeah. and I'll, yeah. be, I'll be awake and it's always at four o'clock it's not a three yeah. it's not a five it's at four four a.m. Yeah, 4 a.m. when I start having 4 a.m. wake ups something is off uh -huh. you know so uh -huh. there's there's just different things along the way that 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 do that for me as as well, and uh, and I'm also noticing that um, that diet is a big deal. Yeah. If I start eating if I start eating garbagey food, I'm gonna feel yeah. like garbage. If I eat good food, I feel better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree. Um, from my perspective, um, I probably had the first signs of depression in my late teens. Um, I got a nursing background, so I was around lots of doctors and I remember going to see a doctor in my 20s and she begged me to start some medication then. It, I, because I was a nurse and because there was so much stigma around a mental health diagnosis, I refused to do anything until I was in my 40s before I actually uh, agreed to take medication. But that was on the crux of a major breakdown. So I left work one day, got home and could not stop crying for weeks. Um, and uh, that's what tipped me to go to a GP who was fantastic and immediately recognised, I think you're clinically depressed. We have to do this, this and this. I want you to stop working. And my story went on. Um, and it took a long time to accept and get used to that was my diagnosis and it was okay i'm okay the world's okay um and i lived with depression now and 
it has brought more blessings than pain. Um, apart from the weight gain, which I actually ended up having weight loss surgery in uh, 2018 to manage and have been much better for it. Um, so, Sam, in answer to your question, depression is not just tears, but if you cry and cannot stop crying um, and and other things like Greg said, um, and I would, uh, now that Greg said about the messy environment, I can actually pinpoint that too, like the washing not getting done and you usually have the washing done or the ironing not getting done and you usually uh, have it done. So Harper says, um, are you saying you are able to notice your tells and get help? And I'll let Greg answer that that first. Well, <laughs> to be completely honest. <laughs> it's a good question, isn't it? That is definitely. That is definitely a yes and no answer. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess it it depends on where you're at, you know. Yes. Um, sometimes you'll see the tells and then a week later you'll be in bed and you're not getting out of bed. And yeah. that's just kind of what's happening. You know, yeah. other times you'll be like, oh, hell no, this is not happening this time. Yeah. And you'll and you'll take different actions. I think yeah. it just kind of depends where you're at. It does, definitely. And it's so much geared to what is happening in your life. And sometimes we don't have a lot of control about uh, things that happen. So, you know, an unexpected death in the family is a bit of a, it can be a trigger. Um, for me, it's not so much the big things in life. It's a whole collection of little things like... Uh, the gas running out combined with uh, any of my animals sick combined with one of the children, uh, my adult children having a rough time combined with my husband having a bit of an issue at work, that'll be all those little things will be enough to tip me. Um, I don't know if it's the same for you, Greg. Yeah, it can, it can kind of be that, that, uh, that approach of like just things dribble into this, into this big pit. And then all of a sudden you realize that your balance is no longer in balance. Yeah. That one is weighed down by all this stuff and you're way down here. And how do you get back up? Yeah. Um, it, it can, it can sneak up on you. Yeah. Uh, you can, you can think everything's great. And then you realize a couple of weeks later that everything is decidedly not great. No. And, um, yeah, and how do you and how do you recover from that? So it's a little bit up and down uh, for me it personally. Uh, I think everybody's experience of depression is a little bit different too. I, I know agree. that with some of the people that I know, their depression manifests quite differently, presents very differently uh, than the way that my depression presents. But yeah. we're all equally depressed, you know. Yeah. But it's just. Uh, it's different impacts of the way that your brain decides to process the issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we um, uh, go to the next break, Avi, uh, Ivy's rather wants to know, um, what if you don't know what to look for? Well, I'm guessing that if if you're tipping into depression, then your first port of call is going to be a doctor and they will be able to help you with knowing what to look for and sam wants to know does anyone ever self-diagnose to the extreme you want to answer that one greg 
<laughs> yes, self-diagnose, self-medicate. Self- oh, my gosh. Yes, I think we as a society have become very good at figuring that we know better than everybody else. Oh, so whether Google. that, yeah, exactly. And Dr. Google, he's a jerk, man. He'll freak you right out because yep. he'll tell you the absolute worst case scenario of everything. And you are going to be convinced that your right arm is about to fall off or something. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, don't do that. Uh, talk to an actual GP, talk to an actual medical doctor. Um, yep. And in terms of what to look for with depression, I don't think there's any one specific thing because, as I say, it presents so differently for everybody. But I think the main thing is that if you feel like your world is not structured and flowing the way that it should be, but but you feel like you're doing all the stuff you usually did and for some reason it's not working, that that might be an indication that something else that you haven't considered is going on. It could be depression. It could be something else. But whatever it is, take a look. Because, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like reverse Einstein insanity, right? Like trying to do yeah. you know, the same thing over and over to get a different result. But if you're doing the same thing over and over again, and then you are getting a different result and you're not trying to. Yeah. <laughs> then yeah. you might want to look into that. Ivy says, with so many things out there, how do you know that you have something or not? And my answer to that would be, I think you need to have a good uh, medical doctor. We call them general practitioners in Australia. Um, y- you need to have a good doctor to go to. And it often helps if you've got friends that you trust who can say, hey, I'm not sure life's good for you at the moment. Are you okay? Um, yes, checking in, checking in with people is totally yeah. okay. Yeah. If you if you if you get a sense that something seems a bit off of somebody yes. in your life, like yeah, it's better to ask than to not ask. Yeah, it's better. I would. I would sorry, I would. I would rather risk offending somebody than risk missing something. I agree. Because depression, sorry, depression can kill. I don't think people realise that depression is is disastrous if left untreated, and it will it has the potential to kill you if you allow it to get to the point of no return. Um, that's where suicide is is based in that thinking that there is just no way out and um there is greg there's always a way out of anything you just need to be able to ask for help absolutely it's like i always say you always have a choice even when it seems like there's no choices the choices might not always be great but you always have a choice yeah there's always something that we can do Mm -hmm. absolutely so you know take action take action for yourself for your friends for your family for your loved ones for your community take action yeah Yeah. 
I'm going to keep talking to you, Greg, through the we'll, – we'll skip the next break and we'll keep talking for a little bit because I think this subject is such an important one and I really want to make sure that um, people are understanding and getting and seeking help if they need to. Um, so James is saying too many times people take the wrong choice and, and, and that's right. And I think too, James, that people take the wrong choice because they don't think that they have choices and Greg and I are both saying very loudly and vocally that there is always choice, um, which leads me into the next thing I wanted to talk to Greg about was his advocacy for mental health and what you do in that space now. Well, yes, in that space now, what I've, what I've been doing is um, I'm actually pulling together some more of my mental health poems and looking to get some of them published. I, yeah. uh, you know, in, you know, uh, as part of my fourth poetry collection that I'd like to have published soon as, as well as yeah. with some literary journals that focus on mental health issues. Yeah. Um, so I'm pulling, pulling some of that stuff together. Um, I have one poem in particular that I perform, uh, fairly frequently, which to me is sort of like a very powerful encapsulation of of what mental health looks like, um, and 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 it and it does have a powerful impact. So when I do public events and I talk about mental health and I perform that piece and I have conversations with people, so that they can so that they can you know just get a sense of it and and yeah. and, and hear sort of what the emotional impact feels like yeah. um, once they hear once they hear the poem and yeah. and 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 so using the poetry as uh, as a device for social change is so very central to who I am yeah. as an artist and to who I am as a person do you want to do the poem on radio today greg I would, I would love to perform it for you, yeah. Okay. Well, before you do that, I just um, want to answer Harper's question. How far is too far? Can anyone be brought back to a better state of mind? Um, while Greg gets ready for his wonderful poem, how far is too far? Well, if, if you die via suicide, that's depression gone too far. And can anyone be brought back to a better state of mind? Most people can, wouldn't you say, Greg? Most people can be brought back to a better state of mind with either a combination of medication, like with or without medication, changing lifestyle, incorporating exercise. Um, there's lots of things like uh, meditation and mindfulness, um, having really good supportive friends around you. All of those things will help bring you back to a better state of mind harper yes, so there absolutely. are options and it's very sad if it goes too far and and causes someone's death that that's not what anyone would want or seek so greg i'd love to hear your poem so listeners we're in for a wonderful treat from greg and here he is all right this poem is called the broken and it goes like this the beautifully brave are like brittle birch bark bent by blows, born with breath baited, barely able to maintain emotional communion with the vibrations innate to their souls. And when pressure exerted on their reed of society bends it to the breaking point and no other option remains, they snap. 
like the click of a camera shutter locks in the scream of a child defiled by napalm in the jungles of Vietnam into the trauma center of memory, they snap like defeated legacies of arms. Extremities buckle under stress as force of impact shatters the weak who lack backbone, they snap like the tenuous connections of neural endings pressed beyond the limits of comfort as the mind is assaulted by relentless past torments they snap like the crackling pop of leather strap against prepubescent skin crispy as the words chewing out raw hide they snap because they have no choice because cohesiveness and wholeness are sad replacements for holding it all together when falling apart is a better way to cast this compound fracture the broken need a break from breaking. So they snap, just so they can finally be still. Wow, that is just awesome. That is fantastic. Listeners, that was a rare treat to hear Greg's wonderful poetry and such power from that uh, segment. Wow, Greg, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that with me. That um, is very powerful, and I see um, that while you use poetry, it's a, it's a powerful medium for um, expressing how depression is. Definitely. Yes. Yes. So um, I know that um, all of this has led you to change your – Ivy says, thank you for reading that to us. Yeah, Ivy, I thought it was fantastic. Um, Sorry, Greg. Um, All of this has caused you to change your life direction and you now have a company called Share Your Voice. Can you tell our listeners about what you do with your company? Okay. Well, yeah, Sharing the Voice is sort of the slogan. The company name itself is Voice Share. Yes. And and so – and so what we do with so what do I do with voice share is I am um, you know obviously I'm a presentation professional so I do give speeches and do poetry performance and act as MC and work uh, with uh, with organizations at uh, at events yeah. but I also am working directly I'm you know taking and coaching clients from around the world helping them to work through um, how they communicate and how to find and to better express their own voice so that they can have a greater impact whether it's in community. Yeah whether it's with their family, whether it's with their work or their employment or their passions to help to identify how they can work from their place of of where they've found their purpose and the passion that lights up that purpose and how they can pursue that purpose with passion in a way that remains empathetic to those around them. So the guiding principles of empathy, passion, and purpose guide what I do with voice share with people in that coaching situation and also through the online course materials that I am in the process of creating. So I'm going to be having some courses that will be available to everybody who's listening to the program and those should become available in the next few months. So I'm very excited about that as well. 
I'm going to put up um, the uh, website um, Voice Share Incorporated. Um, in the next break but I just wanted to tell you Greg that um, Ivy thought that the poem was lovely and James said thanks man I really needed to hear that it was brilliant I wish oh, everyone was very welcome yeah yeah um, so you're heavily working in your company at the moment and you have these amazing programs that people can tap into what do you see as your future direction for the company do you want it to go global absolutely my my intention is to continue to to do this work to write uh, about this book, uh, sorry, about this work extensively, create articles and books, and uh, and to speak, uh, you know, at yes. the national and international level yes. about how important it is for someone to find their own voice by identifying yes. their purpose, working from a place of passion, and 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 following their goals with em- with empathetic purpose, and yes. just putting that all together for people so they can see what's out there. And then another one, it's very interesting that earlier we talked about the whole post-secondary thing as well, because yeah. another another train of what I've now started to develop is an interest yeah. in talking to people about being financially fit and making yes. sure that, that, that that is all put together, because I find that it's difficult for people to pursue their passion if they yes. don't have their house in order. So yes. that's a big part of it. As I put my own house in order, I also yeah. want to teach people the principles that I'm applying to do that as well. So yeah. there's all of this stuff coming up. And yes, I do want to do this at the international level. And I'm very excited about the prospect. Yeah. Because you've actually, despite what we've talked about today, you've actually got amazing skills in labor market analysis, corporate training, sales management, policy development, etc. So you've got business chops, I guess. It's a good way of describing that as well. Absolutely, yes. And I'm and I'm definitely looking to do this in corporate as well as individual and community yeah. environments. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, you've got um, extensive um, interest and in education in, in those areas. So I'm thinking that um, your company will be um, a wonderful success. Um, Greg, before we have to throw to my final break, I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on Radio Tony today. Um, I know you're very busy and I value your time spending with us today. Um, and uh, I just, I'm really appreciative of you opening up and talking so honestly, sharing your poetry with um, my listeners um, and being so open about everything. Um, before we go, though, Mason has one question. How do you function so well with having the depression? Uh, you know, and I thank you, Mason, for saying that I function well. Um, <laughs> because to be completely honest, I don't always feel like I'm functioning well, even when I'm functioning. Yes. You know, it's kind of like... It's kind of like, I guess the best analogy is for it is that you've got your mouth on the bottom of this big jug that's pouring water in at a reasonable rate into your mouth. Yes. But the water, it keeps coming. And sometimes yes. the water goes completely dry yes. and you're at a loss. 
And then other times the water's coming so fast and you can't drink it fast enough. And then it spills out the top and soaks you. So there's always these different things that are going on. But the whole time you're just sitting there looking really pretty, just sucking on the straw. And anybody else who comes by looks like, oh, yeah, he's just there working, sucking on the straw. That's what he's yeah. doing. Yeah. But, you know, it's it, it's still an up and down process. So thank you. Uh, thank you for the question. But, yeah, I, I, I don't always feel like I'm on top of the game. But, I would, uh, you know, I would agree. There's days when yeah. you just don't feel like you're coping very well. But often we do that in secret. I know I, I do it in secret when I'm having a bad day and not many people know. But I have my go-to people and my go-to things that I do. And so on to the outside world, it looks like we cope remarkably well but we're probably uh paddling for dear life um <laughs> outside of that oh zara zara wants to know what are your thoughts on robin williams he was an amazing man who made everyone happy well i think i think with robin williams who to my mind, is one of the most brilliant artistic minds of, of my lifetime. Yes. Um, I, would, I would say that Robin, he, he did about as much as he could reasonably do, yes. given the state of his brain. Yeah. And, and that's where it comes in, the super individualized experience of mental yeah. illness. Yeah. And and he and part and the other thing that that I think people don't always fully grasp is that the mental illness is the root of the brilliance. Yes. Yes. And so and so for someone like Robin Williams, you can't. And that's why I always had that trouble when I was on my medications, because you can't you can't cure the mental illness in its entirety without removing something essential from the creativity. Yeah. Yeah, they're inherently linked. And uh, a lot of creatives have depression and a lot of the side effects of depressive medication is it takes away your creativity or dulls it. Um, So I don't know personally what what happened with robin williams but it may be that he uh was off medication in which case the mental illness runs rampant unchecked doesn't it greg yeah it really it really can and um you know and i'm in a i'm in a point in my life right now where i am not taking medications currently yeah, and it's a diff. It's a different way of managing. Yes, without the without the medication, so I have to do different things than I would do than when I'm medicated, and yeah. uh, you know, and I'm not always successful. So you, but you do the best you can, and uh, you take it day by day, and uh, you know, you 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 just have to honor where you are in any yeah. particular moment in any situation. You got to honor where you are, and not be yeah. upset or frustrated with yourself. You just have to accept where you're at and deal with it accordingly. Uh, so Mason wants to know what would be the worst of the two being on medication or losing who you are what a great question Mason uh, wow well yeah 
that's an extraordinarily difficult question. I, but I mean, I think at the, the root of the question is, who are you? Yeah. And I, I think that, especially for somebody like myself, who is a creative being and makes a living as a creative person, yeah. you always have to maintain who you are. And so yeah. that's my internal struggle when I go back and forth about, do I go back on medication? Like, yeah. Because, because right now, I am in a particularly fruitful season of creativity. Yeah. And, um, and you know, and taking the medication is going to mess with my brain chemistry in one way or the other. Yeah. And, you know, the last medication I found was very helpful for me and also allowed me to keep most of my spark. So yes. that was really good. But, again, like, do you want to just be who you are and just take the chance that the madness might run a little free every once in a while. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a difficult balance. If, if this it is, is what you incredibly do. difficult, Mason, for me, um, the, the, the medication that is working for me at the moment does is actually not affecting my creativity. I'm actually in one of the cr most creative spaces of my entire life but i don't know if the medication will keep working the way it's working at the moment which is a very good but for me my side effects are the weight gain um the loss of libido uh the needing to sleep uh eight to ten hours a night so those are the that that's what my particular juggling act is um and sam wants to know how massive are the changes in a person on and off meds you go greg uh, well um again they're very like i think the most effective medications just they take away the crazy highs and lows and they just yes. they just they turn the the the, the wild crazy uh, wavelength into a much gentler wavelength. There's still ups and downs, but the highs are not very high and the lows are not very low. They even you, you kinda, out. Yes. Yes. If they're working properly, they should simply even you out. So there shouldn't be massive, massive changes. Unfortunately, the, I mean, those are, those are the, the chemical uh, interactions in the brain yeah. unfortunately your brain is connected to this other thing called the rest of your body yeah and um you know and so the cascading effects that can happen throughout the rest of the body don't necessarily correspond to the way that the meds are happening well in your brain in the same way that you might take a cancer medication to deal with a tumor that's in your abdomen but it can have devastating effects to the rest of your body. It's the same, it's the same sort of thing. So it's yeah. really personal and very individual. It is. But, uh, but ultimately, if it's working optimally, it should just even out the person's mood and shouldn't really cause that much yeah. of a difference otherwise. Yeah. So, Sam, in answer to your question, if I'm off medication, I actually can't get out of bed and I cry all the time for no reason at my worst point. Um, so that makes me a very uh, not the best person to be around. So for me, that is a huge change. Whereas when I'm on medication, I still have 
down times, but they're not at that really deep, dark, suicidal low. Um, and and the crying, I like I only cry when it's appropriate that I cry. So um, it's very individual. And again, I you just you need a really good doc, and you need a really good therapist, and they're the best things that will help you um, combined with the other things like exercise and and food two of the most important things with depression um olivia's just commented and said you both said similar things is there a time of year that creativity is heightened another interesting question what do you think greg uh, no i'm wired all the time um <laughs> <laughs> like i i get i'm pretty much juiced 24 7 um i think like for me and my creativity in terms of when and how I write, like I write in seasons, you yes. know, but when I say seasons, I don't mean fall, autumn. I mean, like I could write for like two and a half years and be very, very prolific and then slide into an 18 month period where I write almost nothing at all. Yes. Um, so it's very, it's very up and down, but right now I'm just sort of ramping up into a very high yeah. creative period i hope it lasts a really long time yeah but i'm just getting back into being super fired up about writing it yeah. is currently coinciding with being off my meds for about six months I so can, i can yeah. say that those medications are now completely out of my system, system. right but I do have those moments where, you know, I'll listen to somebody, you know, play a, a song that has a bit of a sad message and I'll get all teary eyed and weepy and yeah. stuff. It's ridiculous, yeah. you know, so, so no, we're I, still the balancing. It's very much um, balancing. And yeah, again, the times that I've been off medication, it's just seen a return to the bad black old days i like to call them and so that's kind of you you think that you can go off medication and that you will be cured i guess the word but i it it took me a long time to learn that there is no cure and for me medication is the thing that works in combination with a whole raft of other things and as I've experimented over the years going off medication, I now know I'm not even going to bother because I just know. But there are other people, uh, I have lots of other friends and like Greg who periodically take a rest from medication. They do it under the supervision of their doctors and their, and their therapists and it works really well for them. But for me, it doesn't work and I know that. So um, I'm again it's really individual it's about getting to know yourself really well and it's about having wonderful thoughtful caring people around you who will listen and know when something's not quite right and i'm assuming greg that you've got lovely supportive people around you as well I'm, I'm very fortunate. Uh, my family has finally kind of come around to it and have an understanding. Yes. And I've got a few friends, um, you know, locally who have a strong understanding of where I'm at and people I can call and, and depend on. But I mean, ultimately, I think the main person and it's just like it's the, the thrust of the questions is the main person you've got to be really good with is yourself. Right. You've yes. got to have that. You've got to have that little Wakandan villager in your head. 
who's yeah. just going to stand up and yell, who are you? Yeah. You know, and you've got to be able to have that answer. You've got to know who you are. And yes. that helps tremendously. Yeah. Um, at the end, we're down to five minutes already. So at the end, <laughs> we'll just keep talking until we run out. Um, at the end, I'm going to put Greg's uh, company uh, website on the in the chat box because here is where one source of where you can get help. Um, by going onto Greg's website and looking at his programs, that's one very valuable and valid space to go for help if you're thinking that you need help. The other thing is that sometimes it's not always family that will be supportive and give you the help and encouragement you need. Um, lots of times it's a core group of friends and i'm not talking about a huge village of friends i'm talking about a few core people that love and care about you enough to say hey buddy what's going on with you are you okay and sometimes that's all we need for people for us to stop and say oh yeah i'm a bit bit unbalanced at the moment and it is about a balance isn't it greg yeah Absolutely, 100% about balance. And people that know and love you will pick up on when you're unbalanced, even if you don't. And I know that for me, my husband is my um, unbalanced picker-upperer, and he's the one that will say, hey, honey, what's going on with you? Uh, I think you need some more sleep or words to those effects because, as I've said before, sleep is one of my key things, although I'm like Greg, and every now and then I'll go through, through a period of time where I wake up at my time is 2 a.m. So I'll wake up at 2 a.m., bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and I now know instead of lying in bed, tossing and turning and thinking, oh, my God, I need sleep, oh, my God, I need sleep, oh, my God, I need sleep, I actually get up and I'll go and write. Um, or um, sometimes I'll listen to an audio book or uh, watch a TV show that I've been wanting to watch. But it's very individual. And again, as Greg said, you need to get to know who you are. You need to get to know what works for you and do that. No matter what anyone says, no matter what, it, what anyone's thoughts on the matter are, you need to do what works for you and to hell with the rest of the planet so to speak indeed because some other people may think what you're doing is super super strange and weird yes. and odd but it doesn't matter are you feeling better when you do it yes, yes. does it help you yes is it therapeutic for you yes and everybody else can go sit on it it's exactly. not about them yeah so, right? so just to share with our listeners one little thing I do when I'm incredibly stressed is I walk down my back steps, I find my little fluffy goat called Jasper, and I sit with him for five minutes, and he snuggles his head into me, I cuddle him, and that works for me. So whatever it is, do it if it works for you. So my wonderful listeners and my fabulous guest this week, Greg, we're down to the one-minute sign-off, and I have to go and get off air. So Thank you, everyone. It's been a wonderful show. Greg, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure and a wonderful conversation. And I know that I'll talk to you again at some stage. So over to you, Rebel. Um, stay on and I will pop up Greg's web website in a moment. But over to you, Rebel. Bye, everyone. See you next week.
Radio Tony, difficult conversations and bringing hope to listeners. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN. Radio Tony, your safe space for tough conversations. Exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony, a platform for the unheard. Radio Tony, with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Radio Tony. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Back next Thursday from 7pm Eastern Standard Time, live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Mom!